You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC is reporting another death in the coronavirus pandemic. That's one of a number of breaking developments tonight, including 42 new cases, as we mentioned, which brings BC's total to 659. And that one death means we now have 14 total here at home. Keith Baldry has more on the numbers and the growing concern when it comes to protecting our health care workers. By health authority, that is 339 in Vancouver Coastal Health, 218 in Fraser Health, 47 on Vancouver Island, 46 in Interior Health Authority, and 9 in the Northern Health Authority. COVID-19 is everywhere in B.C., and the case numbers continue to escalate. So, too, do the most serious cases. There are now 64 people in hospital, an increase of five from yesterday. 26 of those are in intensive care, an increase of three. But 183 people have now recovered, up 10 from a day ago. The relatively small increase in hospitalizations is encouraging, Dr. Bonnie Henry says. It's heartening to me, though, that we're not seeing dr dramatic increases and in doubling in a day or two days or three days of, of the hospitalized cases. But she did express concern about an important issue, whether or not enough personal protective equipment is on hand for healthcare workers. We have had a number of supplies on order for some time. Some have arrived, thankfully, and we are actively looking at how we can get as much as we can in the short term. And she said they are learning new things about the equipment all the time as the pandemic rages on. There's uh, good evidence that you can reuse certain types of equipment if it's been cleaned appropriately, and we're looking at how we can do that. We're also looking at alternate supplies from around the world. Dr. Henry also repeated her strong recommendation not to gather in groups, no matter where you are. It is very important right now that we come together in our communities and support each other, but we do that in a virtual way and we have a safe space between us to stop the transmission of this virus. All right, Keith joins us now live from Victoria. Keith, Dr. Henry also went over the age of the patients in hospital, mm -hmm. and there was a bit of a surprise there. Certainly was, uh, Chris. We've assumed this really affects older people much more than young. And that is the case. But Bonnie, Dr. Bonnie Henry says, by and large, the people in ICU and intensive care are generally over the age of 60. The people in hospital are over the age of 50. But she says there is one patient in BC in hospital with this virus who is under the age of 10, which is a little surprising. Uh, but now, I have to tell you, the standard for getting into hospitals right now is quite low because hospitals are empty. Uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix has cleared more than 3,800 beds, vacated them for the potential being used by uh, COVID-19 victims. So uh, that's a snapshot of where we are today of people in hospital. All right, Keith in Victoria, thank you. All right. The B.C. government has unveiled its much-anticipated help for renters and landlords during the COVID-19 crisis. As Richard Zussman reports, the province is providing financial help. It is also calling on the banks to do their part. There are more than 500,000 renters in British Columbia and some help is on the way. The B.C. government announcing up to $500 per month over the next three months in support aimed at those who need it most. And we want to make sure that, uh, it, it, that we do this in a way that makes the most impact for the greatest number of people. I want to reiterate, if you can pay your rent, you should pay your rent. British Columbians can apply online through BC Housing starting soon. The money, distributed straight to landlords, won't be available by April 1st, meaning with so many out of work due to COVID-19, there will be rent payments missed. 
$500 does not seem like a, an enormous amount, but when you put it beside a $2,000 uh, uh, payment uh, from the federal government and $1,000 from the province, as well as the other initiatives that we've brought forward to reduce costs for people over the past two years, I think we're in a place where we can manage this going forward. The province also announcing additional measures, including a freeze on all annual rent increases, a ban on evictions in all but the most extraordinary cases, giving tenants the right to stop landlords from entering their home and giving landlords the right to restrict people from common areas. Some advocates pointing out that $500 a month doesn't go that far in many places in Metro Vancouver. I imagine that government may have to take further action. Uh, there may be other unexpected needs that arise during this time, but this is a great first step. I sense there will still be a lot of anxiety over the next week, uh, particularly in situations where you know people are paying high rent and have lost essentially all of, of their income. The government also pressuring the banks to help as well, to ensure landlords don't struggle with mortgage payments when rent checks don't arrive next week. We need renters who can pay rent to continue to do so, uh, otherwise uh, the entire uh, rental housing ecosystem is really at risk of, of collapsing. For now, it's $500 a month per household, but the province is looking at whether that can be extended when there's multiple renters living in a home. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The federal government is also ramping up its help for people affected by the COVID outbreak. Aaron MacArthur has the details on how much is available in the Emergency Benefits Fund and who qualifies. As thousands of Canadians still abroad make their way back, the rules have changed. Despite weeks of limited or no information at the border, the federal health minister invoking parts of the Quarantine Act now everybody returning will be mandated to isolate for 14 days. There will be follow-up, um, there will be random screening and there will be uh, spot screening based on particular situations and my officials are working with CBSA right now to ensure that people know that this will be serious and that there will be significant penalties if people violate the quarantine. The Prime Minister also unveiling details of the economic bailout plan. Canadians will now have access to one comprehensive payment. The Canada Emergency Response Benefit will provide about $2,000 a month, up to four months. The benefit paid out every four weeks until October 3rd. The government aiming to get the application portal open by April 6th. People should start receiving money within 10 days of applying. The benefit will be for sick, quarantined or laid off workers. Parents with sick family members or children forced to stay at home. Self-employed people who have lost work or closed shop or had their pay cut. The issue will be with rollout. Already, nearly a million people have applied for EI, and the system is so overwhelmed, the website is crashing, and wait times for call centers topping four hours. Canadians expect us to be prepared to deal with these challenges, to have the ability to move quickly, to have the funding. Cases continue to climb nationwide, more than 3,200 across the country. The effects of social distancing and the shuttering of most of the economy won't show up in the new case data for several weeks yet. Any economic relief could take that long to show up as well. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Job losses continue to mount. The Vancouver Aquarium has announced staffing cuts after shutting its doors to the public over a week ago. The Oceanwise Conservation Association has laid off 60% of its workforce. That's 343 employees, the majority working in operations. Animal care staff have not been affected so far. 
with a dedicated team looking after the 70,000 animals living at the center during the closure. The company estimates it'll lose $3.2 billion a month in revenue, money that would normally go towards supporting animal care. Steve Nash Fitness World has let go of all of its employees, citing challenges posed by the novel coronavirus. An email to staff obtained by Global News says all team members at the 24 locations were terminated as of Tuesday. The message states, while the company has explored all options to continue operations and protect our team members' continued employment, we do not see a way forward at this time, adding that details on final pay will be coming later. And another financial casualty of the COVID-19 pandemic, Leon's Furniture announcing massive cuts. The furniture chain is temporarily laying off 3,900 employees. That's half its workforce. 72 of its 205 stores will close. The Toronto-based company that also owns The Brick says it will offer supplemental pay and extended benefits to laid-off employees. The stores that remain open will operate with limited hours. Online sales and delivery continue to function normally. Well, there has been yet another death at the North Shore Care Home already devastated by COVID-19. As the number of confirmed cases among residents and workers continues to rise from Vancouver to White Rock. As Sarah McDonald reports for loved ones of vulnerable seniors in care, the wait and the battle to curb the virus's growth is excruciating. As the coronavirus continues to wage war inside long-term care homes. This is the song by the light of the silvery moon that my dad would sing to me when I would go to sleep. An army of grown sons and daughters is answering the call for support in whatever way they can. People like Samantha Moncton, who can no longer visit their parents in person. I know it's a familiar sound, and when he's got dementia right now, and so... Um, things may be a bit confusing, so hopefully this will like tune him into his world. Her father, now also in isolation, one of dozens of people here testing positive for COVID-19. Nine long-term care homes region-wide now have confirmed cases of COVID-19 as the province puts increasingly tighter measures in place, restricting staff and visitors. Healthcare workers are able to work at one facility only, particularly during this critical time. My sister and I felt very strongly to go in and take care of our father personally. Deborah Drew's father is also fighting the disease, which has now claimed the lives of 11 fellow residents in a cluster at the care home at the epicenter of this country's outbreak. These people cannot be forgotten. They need to have this time to be treated with dignity. People like Margaret Holtz, who has called this place home for more than two decades. Usually we have happier and coffee and tea every day down here, but that's all done away with right now. So. No crowds. For her and so many others, it's the little things now making a meaningful impact. I think I might have to come back. I'm going to have to learn a couple more songs. Like the sound of music in a typically bustling city that's now largely fallen silent. Hi, Dad. Love you. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Well, in the worst cases, COVID-19 attacks the lungs and patients often have to be ventilated to recover. That takes a very special set of skills and respiratory therapists 
are involved in every case of COVID-19 that comes in. Paul Johnson now with a closer look at why their skills are so critical. I would say we probably have the most hands-on contact with the patient. Meet Sapin Behar, respiratory therapist at Royal Columbian Hospital. RTs, as they're known in the medical community, are some of the most important caregivers that you may not have heard of for a pandemic like this. The moment a, a patient comes into the hospital who's presumptive positive, we would be there assessing the patient. Life for an RT right now means long hours and intense focus on safety and hygiene. Behar says he washes his hands about a hundred times a day right now. We're right at the head of the bed, right? Like that's the danger zone, right? That, that's where most of the, the droplet particles are going to be if a patient sneezes or coughs. We hear a lot about the need for ventilators, which are a precious commodity right now. But the other side of that is the people who run those machines, and those would be respiratory therapists. We've got about 1,300 in the province right now, and we only have one college that's able to train them. So the safety and security of those healthcare practitioners is critical right now. Personally, this is my opinion, uh, the weak link is, is going to be the, the number of RTs, you know, how many we can, we can bring in. Behar says each RT can take care of about four or five patients on ventilators at any given time. But since the expectation is that each COVID-19 patient who requires ventilation may need it for 10 days, a surge of cases at the same time would be a major challenge in B.C. He can only promise he and his colleagues will do their best. I want to assure the, the public that, you know, no matter, you know, how big or small the shortage of RTs is, we will get it done. Paul Johnson, Global News. Right now, though, a construction worker is among those diagnosed with COVID-19, and the site where he worked at, in, at YVR, is still open. Others in the industry are raising concerns about how safe that is. John Hua reports on how the industry is responding to the demand for social distancing and the potential cost of shutting down. It's the expansion of Vancouver's gateway to the rest of the world. But now construction crews at Vancouver International Airport are working to contain a confirmed case of COVID-19. We're monitoring uh, any case that, that we hear about throughout the province, and so the specific case at YVR is, uh, is unfortunate. The worker with COVID-19 was last on site of the Pier D or International Terminal Expansion on March 13th. A memo was sent out to other subcontractors 10 days later. The rest of that worker's crew is now under quarantine as a precaution. While I don't have a specific comment on their reaction, I, I fully uh, am, am supportive of uh, the decisions that we are making today are in the best interest of all of the, the workers. Neither PCL Construction, the lead on the project, or ESC Automation, which employs the worker, responded to Global News' requests for comment. YVR writing, the prime contractor responsible for the construction site alerted us immediately and confirmed they have been following direction provided by public health officials. Construction sites are not a, as high a risk environment as we know because they're mostly outdoors. So there's ways of mitigating risk in those sites. Still at another construction site at YVR, even in open spaces. Following proper social distancing seems to be difficult. If a work site isn't safe, it shouldn't uh, be operational. But what we're here to say is when and where those work sites can be safe and can comply, we want to support those work sites to continue. Other sites are trying to reinforce the industry with new measures, 
like limiting one subtrade per floor, daily screening for at-risk workers, and regular sanitization. People buy into that and they want to work. They will adhere to the safety measures that you're implementing. With a confirmed case of COVID-19, concern amongst construction workers continues to rise, leaving the industry working to build a case to keep work sites open during this pandemic. John Hua, Global News. Metro Vancouver has shut down a regional park in Langley due to the COVID-19 crisis. And as Grace Key reports, officials say whether or not other parks stay open depends entirely on the actions of the people who use them. Bray Island Regional Park in Fort Langley is now shut down to the public after concerns that people weren't social distancing in light of COVID-19. If the park visitors flout the direction of health officer, we will have no choice but to close down our parks to public access. Parking lots at Boundary Bay and Dees Island Regional Parks as well as Delta Heritage Park are also closed because there are too many vehicles jammed into the lots. Making sure people stay two meters apart has been a challenge. At Lynn Canyon, cones separate visitors, signs are up and staff on hand. But with packed lots, parking restrictions could be coming. Quarry Rock and Lynn Canyon Suspension Bridge were already forced to shut down on Sunday. Metro Vancouver will continue to monitor its parks. And if we're not able to achieve that safety in our parks uh, for the public and for our employees, uh, then we'll need to um, have closures. Kwatlin First Nation residents who live on Bray Island also express concern about visitors. The public is being asked to stay apart, take your garbage with you for the safety of workers, and stay in your car until there's more space. Parks provide an escape to relieve stress and improve health during these uncertain times, and making sure they stay open will be up to visitors sticking to the rules. Grace Key, Global News. Some compelling evidence today for everyone to stay at home. It comes from a Chilliwack woman whose Facebook post on her COVID-19 diagnosis has taken off. Erin Lee is now in hospital and on oxygen despite following medical protocols. Lee says she probably contracted the coronavirus through community transmission. She spoke to Global News from her Calgary hospital bed hoping to get the message out stay home listen to what the doctors say um the hospital staff has been absolutely amazing um the amount of stuff that they go through just to treat one patient like me is phenomenal because every nurse or doctor that comes in has to be gowned and gloved and masked um well, I'm more concerned about those that are sicker than me. Um, it's definitely attacked my um, respiration. Um, that's the most crucial, I guess, symptom that I, I have. I haven't seen or done many things um, in the last three weeks. So um, I haven't been exposed to a lot of people. And I haven't been to a lot of places. It's okay. Um, some of the things that have been said are a little bit worrisome. Um, and so, yeah, I try not to let it bother me too much. I, um, I it's, it's, it's hard to say I'm doing okay. 
Well, it appears social distancing is being completely ignored on the downtown east side, where there are many people who are particularly susceptible to the spread of COVID-19. This is what East Hastings looked like this afternoon. The foot traffic was heavy with people crowding the busy strip. People were lining up at the ministry office to cash their government checks. This video was sent to us by an outreach, outreach worker who warns the situation is dire, with no one following the rules and no one enforcing distance between people. Well, I spent most of the day down there, and the one hand-washing station I saw wasn't working. Uh, there needs to be like more hand-washing stations. There needs to be more people uh, handing out hand sanitizers. So I just don't see what, what can happen. Um, other than just getting some more resources down there. But again, where you know, you have to protect the people working down there. These are not simple problems and, you know, they, they can't be just um, forced upon people. We have to do it in a way that respects people and that protects as many people as possible. Well, the city of Victoria is taking some action to address the lack of social distancing among its homeless population. Global's Brad McLeod on how the city hopes to help people spread out and reduce the risk among those who can be the most vulnerable. It's a sight not seen in years. Pandora Street packed just outside the Our Place shelter. Unprecedented times for those who advocate for sheltering people. To have them sleeping out on the street um, is very difficult for us. And the tents are spreading, despite bylaws requiring tents to be taken down in the morning. Victoria's mayor says there's a reason for the lack of enforcement. So the last thing you'd want to do uh, in this situation, again, following the doctor's orders, is ask someone to take down their tent if they're staying in there because they're not feeling well. And because of that tightly packed situation on Pandora, the city has made three new temporary shelter areas. One right here in Beacon Hill Park, another here at Topaz Park, and the third here at fenced-in Royal Athletic Park. Tenters are already moving into the designated areas, even though they aren't set up. Topaz Park is the only one with cramped facilities. And busy Beacon Hill, well, you can't camp there. There's nothing but recreation allowed to happen in that park. This leaves the most vulnerable waiting until the province grants powers to requisition places like Beacon Hill. But time could be running out for the often immunocompromised community. I, I believe it's inevitable, and I think it will hit them very hard. The city says the solution is temporary until BC Housing buys more indoor shelters. So the unsafe crowding continues. The mayor says people can head to Topaz Park, but it may take time for the parks to be properly prepared. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. Prince Charles has tested positive for COVID-19. The heir to the British throne is displaying mild symptoms, but otherwise remains in good health and is now in self-isolation in Scotland. His wife Camilla has tested negative for the novel coronavirus. A spokesperson for Buckingham Palace says the Queen, who is 93, and Prince Philip, who turns 99 this summer, are both in good health and are currently social distancing. The largest relief bill in U.S. history aimed at providing trillions of dollars to American workers, companies and industries is set to go to a vote on Wednesday. It comes as concern grows over President Donald Trump's plan to reopen the country by Easter. In politics, legislation doesn't usually move this quickly. 
But after a week of negotiations, the U.S. Senate and White House have come to terms on a historic stimulus package. This is not a moment of celebration, but one of necessity. Set to bring relief to a country on the brink of economic collapse. Struggling Americans are going to go to their mailboxes and find four-figure checks to help with their bills. On top of individual checks, large industries will be offered loans, while unemployment benefits will be extended. The bill still needs to be passed by the House of Representatives. But some states are fighting back. It would really uh, be terrible for the state of New York. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo balking at a $4 billion earmark for his state, saying New York City requires $2 billion alone. This is not a time to play nice in the sandbox. If we don't get more funding from the feds, I don't know how we write the budget. New York's outbreak accounts for more than half of America's total reported cases, and there's a fear that by next week, morgues in New York City will be at capacity. Meanwhile, there's a growing concern about the president's plan for reopening the economy. Ultimately, the goal is to ease the guidelines and open things up. As more states shutter non-essential businesses, Trump's eagerness is hitting a nerve amongst governors and members of his own party. The one thing we don't want to see is a relaxing of some of the restrictions on public activities and then a resurgence of the pandemic. The president says he'll reevaluate when the national 15-day social distancing guideline expires next week. The president's medical advisors have told him he needs to be more flexible when it comes to reopening the economy by Easter, partly due to the fact that half of Americans are under stay-at-home orders, some of which last longer than a month. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Of course, the message has been loud and clear. Stay home, and if you have to go out, you should keep your distance. But here at home, hundreds were seen defying social distancing rules last weekend. Today, there are some positive signs that the message might be finally getting through. Jordan Armstrong reports. This is it. Normally, the polar plunge at Kitts Beach is a weekly group activity. But these are not normal times. So Sam is taking the plunge solo. Taking a little bit of a dip. It's, it's great. It's a beautiful day as long as you're keeping your distance. <laughs> For a sunny Wednesday, Kitts Beach was remarkably quiet. The parking lot is closed, and the few people out walking were keeping their distance. People are kind of like shuffling around each other to give each other other space as we go walking around. I think everybody's um, paying attention and doing a really good job. You can adapt. It's amazing. I lived through the Second World War, so, you know, it's it's, um, much the same. What a difference from Saturday, when the fair weather brought out a fair number of scoff laws, enough to make the mayor say this. The rest of Canada is looking at us and saying, what's going on in Vancouver? Um, yeah, I think we're, we're all collectively shaking our heads. In the days since, Vancouver Council has made it possible for the city to fine businesses up to $50,000 and people $1,000 if they ignore orders to keep groups apart. But other cities, like Burnaby, don't have the power to do that. We can't do that because uh, Vancouver has their own charter and we work under the community charter, which uh, limits uh, many of the actions we can take. He says Burnaby can revoke business licenses if necessary. And for citizens, city workers are patrolling public areas with a prop to ensure they get the picture. Here's showing the actual distance that you should have around you. To, have, to show good social responsibility. It seems the physical distancing message is finally sinking in. Jordan Armstrong, Global News.
Well, the COVID-19 crisis is having an impact not just on those who are infected, but on other patients in hospitals as well. This week, a Maryland woman tweeted out a plea hoping to find someone, anyone who works at or near Peace Arch Hospital to visit her mother, who's dying of pancreatic cancer. Jennifer McCormack can't come back to Canada because of the travel restrictions. And her sister, who lives in Surrey, can't go to the hospital either because she is pregnant. So McCormack took to social media and she found someone who could help. When my sister said that she could not visit, uh, and I can't visit, obviously, from here, I just sort of tweeted out in desperation and said, is, is anybody out there, you know, an employee of this hospital who could just sit with my mom for a minute and, and hold her hand and, and tell her that her children love her? Because I, I didn't know how else to get in there. It was being retweeted um, a fair amount, and people were reaching out and, and just sort of wishing me well and saying they hoped I would find somebody. And, and I guess some bigger... Um, accounts grabbed hold of it and started tweeting. Um, and I think some journalists also, um, I think you might have retweeted it also. <laughs> and uh, it sort of got a huge amount of reach. Kind of broke my heart in a good way that so many people care um, about about this. Um, and surely they can see themselves in the same situation. And, and it was just amazing that so many people wanted to help. I mean, no one wants to die alone. Um, and sadly, it's, it's looking like that might be the case um, for mom. We're still hoping that, that she pulls through this latest dip um, in her health. But, you know, it's, it's hard. Um, it's very advanced cancer and she's not well. And now she's in a hospital where there's obviously going to be exposure to, to, to COVID as well. And so, so we just don't know if we're ever going to see her again. And um, this was the only thing that I could think of to get someone there to just physically just, just touch her hand um, and just hold it and, and say that, that she's loved. I know that Barb has been in and she was kind enough to um, show my mom some pictures that I sent her um, of, of the family. And, um, you know, she said that my mom smiled when she saw the pictures and uh, it, it helped her light up a little bit. And she sat and chatted with her for a little while. And that, that really means a lot to me. The nurses are wonderful. And I, I hope no one takes the wrong message from this. I, I wasn't saying that they're not caring for her well. It's just that she has no one there to just be with her during this. And, and, and it's such a lonely, scary time in the hospital when you know that your time is almost up. And, and I, I'm very, very grateful that there are people who um, took this message to heart and um, were able to do this for our family. It, it means a lot. Pharmacy workers are on the front lines when it comes to dealing with sick patients and the coronavirus pandemic. Now a Surrey pharmacy is implementing drastic measures in an effort to protect both staff and customers. Catherine Urquhart reports. I have a pickup for extra strength Advil. At Pacific Pharmacy in Surrey, they're taking every precaution they can think of to protect against COVID-19 for the sake of customers and staff. There's certain vulnerable staff members or who have um, kids at home or seniors at home and trying to figure that out and uh, we're trying to limit the interaction. It all starts outside. Wearing a mask and gloves, Rahul greets customers as they arrive. I get their name on the clipboard and ask them what they're here for and uh, go inside and try to find their medication and then I call them inside one at a time to pick it up. The safety measures do slow down the process of picking up prescriptions and other necessities, but clients are, for the most part, more than okay with the added safety efforts. You opened the door for me, so 
I feel safe here. It's our safety, right? It's keeping our distance, hand cleaning, they take her name and go inside. It's like our safety and for her safety. At this pharmacy and others, demands have increased, with patient phone calls spiking. And there are concerns about supply chains. But the doors will remain open, so customers can continue accessing much-needed medications. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Why, this group is dancing in the streets coming up a little later, right after Christie's forecast. But keeping their distance, of course. Absolutely. All right, uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon is in North Vancouver. We, we had a beautiful day today, Christy, but uh, hopefully people managed to get outside and enjoy it a little bit. That's right. We're in for a change. And you were talking about dancing in the streets. Well, check this out. Of course, lots of people enjoying their family time, social distancing. And the Milne family did a dance-off challenge for their other friends. And uh, the whole idea is you have to stay well away. So stay near your car make sure you're social distancing. But then get really crazy and have tons of fun. And then the, the challenge was accepted by their friends. And they said, please note the fact that it is snowing and we are in our bins. It's so much fun to do that type of thing, keep the spirits up, and, of course, use a bit of time with your family. All right, so we are expecting a change tomorrow. It should be dry in the morning, but by the afternoon hours, you can expect the rain to push in, and we will see that rain on and off through our Friday and our Saturday. So wet across the northern regions. Inland regions will start off with snow 2 to 4 centimeters before it changes over to rain. Drying through the Okanagan Valley, but rain by the afternoon for other regions. And again, we will see that rainfall push in from the northwest so for our region not until the latter part of the day and wet friday and saturday and i'll leave you with a shot our central windows weather window thank you this is from charlie and she had a whole bunch of hearts she says farmers and pharmacists and all sorts of people on the front line thank you so much all right you two back to you so cute okay thanks christy so back to the staff at a Vancouver independent living complex who got imaginative today to help their residents get some exercise and practice correct social distancing. The kinesiologist and wellness manager at Tapestry Arbutus Walk took to the streets outside the building and led residents on their balconies in some musical calisthenics. They did 10 minutes on each side of the building so that all residents had the chance to exercise. <laughs> A few neighbors couldn't resist joining in while keeping their distance, of course. The center's manager say, says they are hoping to make this a weekly event. A little joy, a little sense of humor. That's how we're going to get through this thing exactly. uh, together, I think. All right, Squire joins us now with the possibility of hockey in August. Well. And not training camp. Well, they're going to have to have a training camp, I guess, at some point. Actually, because the Olympics got cancelled, NBC needs some programming, so the NHL will be happy to provide it in July and August. Anyway, because the NHL is prepared to play into the late summer, if necessary, to finish off this season, providing, of course, they can play in the summer, they have had to postpone three events. The NHL Awards, the NHL Combine for Draft Prospects, and the draft itself. When those three things will be held, nobody knows. If they'll be held with a crowd, that's anybody's guess as well. The NHL has not come up with any alternative dates yet. But speaking of the draft, when they cancel or postpone sporting events or leagues, 
There is more than just the obvious ramifications. For example, when the junior hockey leagues and the NCAA hockey team shut down their seasons entirely because of the coronavirus, we were thinking, how will that impact scouting for the NHL draft? Because the sample size for prospects is not going to be as big as it usually is. If you look back at every NHL draft, you'll see first-round picks who worked out very well and first-round picks who didn't work out at all. Vancouver is proud to select from Tri-Cities, United States Hockey League, Patrick White. Yes, Patrick White. The Canucks took him and he never played a game in the NHL. And you'll also see good players who were drafted late same year as Patrick White, Jamie Benn, fifth rounder, one of the best in the NHL. But while you might think that could happen more in the next NHL draft because the juniors and the NCAA stopped early, it's not likely to have a lot of impact. Giants general manager Barkley Parnetta is a former NHL scout, and he knows a lot of teams have done most of their scouting by now. I, I don't think that the... Uh effect will be uh, really big on the National Hockey League draft. I think that uh, primarily when I was doing it too, the majority of your list is built already. It was really, uh, I'd say 95% of your work is done and the playoffs just sort of help reiterate or sort of uh, solidify what your opinion was. And, and certainly the, the Mem Cup was a time that you would get together and talk about a lot, but there wasn't a lot of uh, jumping or falling on your lists at that point. In other words, NHL scouts would be rather wary of any player who didn't do much in a regular season but then suddenly had a great playoff. It's not going to be somebody that just jumps onto the radar at one tournament that they get all excited about. That's generally when you make a mistake. And I think enough teams have maybe tried that and it's probably not worked out. But again, I think it comes down to what the players do on the ice. And I don't think that the people that have seen the players up till now, that would really change much without having a playoff or the Memorial Cup. And as we've said, the NHL draft right now, nobody knows when it's going to be. But we do know there's going to be a global news at 11, and Andrew is going to tell us about it. Thanks, Squire. With COVID-19 reducing the demand for oil, gas is selling for under a dollar a litre tonight, as low as 93.9 in Vancouver. Plus, recycling is stacking up as many people in self-isolation are clearing out their homes. Why the city of Vancouver wants you to avoid spring cleaning amid the coronavirus pandemic. And remember those 800,000 boxes of Girl Guide cookies stuck in storage since all-in-person sales were suspended due to COVID-19? We'll show you where some of them are now for sale. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris. All right, thanks very much, Ann. We've got more to come, including a shout-out to our healthcare heroes. And a couple gets married and has their first dance in the street because of COVID-19. Squire's got the story next. Well, if you've ever had a wedding or gone to one, you know the party's a pretty big deal. COVID-19 has a mm -hmm. way of crushing things. We sent our wedding experts out to um, <laughs> report on these unique circumstances. Squire? You know, if you want a romantic story around here, you've come to the right guy. <laughs> you really have. You really have. In fact, this story is perfect for our times. It has love, it has a wedding, and it has social distancing. <laughs> Joshua and Anastasia Davis's wedding was supposed to be traditional. We had booked our venue, which is Langley Golf and Banquet Center, for about 135 people. So for five and a half months, we've been planning our wedding. But then, of course, restrictions on gatherings from COVID-19 began popping up, and it reduced the number of people at the wedding 
from 135 to a handful in a living room. We just realized how much risk we're putting not only on ourselves, but yeah. for the people around us. And it, we, we couldn't do that. And it, it was heartbreaking. But some of the people who couldn't go to the ceremony still wanted to help them celebrate with plenty of social distancing and ingenuity. So when Joshua and Anastasia's limo approached Osprey Village for picture taking, they ran into a love parade as their friends and family had lined the street for them. All of, all of a sudden I realized that it was all of my friends, all of our friends had shown up from our, our church and had just lined the street and it was just overwhelming. And it became like an old Hollywood musical, complete with their first dance in the middle of the street with car stereos providing the music. Having a first dance in the street, having our friends surrounding us, I think that was my absolutely favorite. That's something that I, everything was unreal. Like everything was, it was so magical. We had to do a lot of like six foot away pictures. <laughs> so we'd be like standing there and a then while. they're in their car somewhere else or through a sunroof and getting in the frames and just, it was it's so, so different. So it different. was so, so cool, amazing. so different. Yeah, You couldn't do it again. And the moral is, love conquers all. Absolutely. Sure See? What a romantic. Hey, that's quiet. He really is, right? I told surprise, you. Surprises I told you. every day. I, I don't really understand the startling, uh, you know, <laughs> surprise from you guys. Uh, I know you don't, my friend. Okay, very quickly, uh, finally tonight, we, like a lot of you, want to give a shout-out to our BC Healthcare heroes. So starting tonight on the News Hour, we're going to be highlighting your photos of those working on the front lines of this crisis. So we're starting with this one from Dr. Ann Carvalho. She's an emergency room physician and those are her daughters who are currently staying with their cousins as a precaution. So visits with mom right now are through a window only. Thank you to Dr. Carvalho. If you have a healthcare hero to nominate, tweet us at Global BC and use the hashtag BC Healthcare Heroes. Thank you to our healthcare heroes. I can almost hear the pots and pains banging already. Thanks for watching. <laughs>